Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode 55 of the Reinventure Me podcast. Well, you're on a path to your future self. If your structure doesn't fit your goal, however, you're not likely to get there. We're going to talk about structure and how it can help you create what matters most in this episode of Reinventure Me. Find your next great beginning. Welcome to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hey, Larry Gates here. <laughs> and Armin Asadi. And welcome to episode 55 of the Reinventure Me podcast. This is the podcast for what's next in life. Yes, sir. And Armin and I are here to help you discover new ways to reinvent your life, your opportunities, and the ventures God's called you into. Right. No matter what they may be. <laughs> <laughs> Just not drug dealing. Yeah, you have had that experience already, so you know to tell our listeners, steer clear of the drug stealing. Stealing? Oh, dealing. <laughs> well, I guess it's stealing as well. <laughs> stealing, dealing, Avoid any crime, of organized crime <laughs> exactly. of any kind. It's not good. Yeah, well, before we get into the show today, we want to let you know about the show notes being available at reinventure.me slash five five, so go out there. And you'll find some awesome show notes out there. Oh, no. Here we go again. <laughs> and we have this conversation already, Larry. Yeah, we did. We discussed this not having awesome views at all. Yeah, well, for those of you who didn't catch last week's episode, I did get taken to task for using the word awesome and maybe wearing it out a little bit. So we invited our listeners to give us some alternatives to use. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> should we hear some of those? I think we should, please. <laughs> Amazing. Or breathtaking or magnificent. That's breathtaking. Let's yeah. go. Or impressive. Super. Can make up words too. Splendiferous. Oh. How about instead of awesome, unbelievable? Unbelievable. I would go with swell as one suggestion. Combination of super and well. And you get swell. <laughs> Wouldn't that be Suel? Suel? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Are any of those better? Do you like any of those? I, I think you should, on a regular basis, use the words breathtaking. Breathtaking. Yes. That comment you made was breathtaking. It won't be dramatic at all. It'll be totally normal. Yeah, that's a, it's a word everybody uses. At, all the time. Okay. All the time. Well, Armin, I'm sorry. I don't think you're awesome. I think you're breathtaking. breathtaking. <laughs> Thank you. That doesn't sound... It's, just so you know, it's totally normal. I just need you to use it in public, often. <laughs> well, we had another suggestion, too. Oh, no. Well, here it is. Inconceivable. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Unleashing the inner geek. That's the one I'm going with. <laughs> I'm going to use inconceivable. Oh, good. Even good. if that word doesn't mean what I think it might mean. <laughs> I don't think it does, but I think you're still going to use it, and you're going to use it at will. Yeah, I will use it at will. <laughs> it might actually be breathtaking in the oh, way that I use it. Oh, man. All right. Here we go. All right. Well, we got to move on from all that discourse about words to use. Way back in episode 50, we talked about the need to create strategic margin. Remember mm -hmm. that? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it was a long time ago. It but was. I, this I, is the last episode of this series about strategic margin. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about that because to create your next great beginning... Yeah. <laughs> can we say that? <laughs> no. <laughs> we've cut that off as well. We've made agreements, Larry. We've got to stick to them. <laughs> All right. To move into this new venture that God's called you into, we really need to create margin. And the way you create margin is by understanding how you can not just let go of things that you shouldn't be doing, but how you can increase your personal power to get there. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the five different elements to increasing personal power. There was willpower back in episode 51. We talked about delegated power in 52. Reciprocity, which I thought was a pretty interesting episode. My favorite. 53, yeah. And then creative power in last week's episode, and we had a lot of creative energy around finding a new word for me to use. (laughs) Well, today we're going to talk about structural power. And before we do that, we really need to move into the Inspire Me quote. So it's a quote by a guy named J.C. Riley, and he said, he who would build high must first dig deep. So I'll say that one more time, and keep in mind this is a structure episode. So he who would build high must first dig deep. Yeah, and I love that quote because it really talks about aspirations that we all have for having something better, building mm-hmm. higher. Right. But in order to do that, we got to take a look inside. We have to see what's inside of us, and it's the structure. Any building structure has to have a good foundation. Yeah. You know, you can't build a skyscraper unless you dig deep to lay the footings. Right. And if we want to build high in our own lives, we've got to take a look at our own footings. Right. Start in the simplest form. What is structure? Yeah, and that's a great question. And the reason it's important to understand is because we're often not aware of it, right? right. Structure is the system and the way in which we go about doing what we aspire to do. Hmm. And it's all of the supporting elements. Just think about a structure of a building. It's there to support things. So it's the things that we need in order to support us to accomplish our objectives. It's really interesting that you say that because one of the things that I feel like I'm good at is building structures, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's business or ministry or entrepreneurship or whatever, I feel like I'm very operationally minded when it comes to that. So I think about structure quite a bit. But when it comes to my life, I'm completely unaware of my own structure or else I just completely avoid it. It's not something I put a lot of thought into. And that's typical. Most of us are not aware of it. And that's why structure is the hardest part for us to work on. Yep. Yeah. You know, it is one of the hardest things for us to first of all, be aware of, yeah. and then to change. Yeah. Because it requires digging deeper, like J.C. Riley said. you know. And most of us want to build up big, and we get discouraged because not a lot of growth is happening, but we haven't dug deep yet to support what we're trying to build. Yeah. There's two different personality types. One loves and consumes structure, and then there's one that is literally the anti-structure person. Mm-hmm. Right? So if it's the J and the P at yes. the end of the Myers-Briggs. So yes. whether it's a completely accurate test or not, at least we know there's certain personalities out there that truly enjoy structure and go after it and want it and want to design it in their lives because yep. it gives them a sense of peace. And then there's those who hate structure because it takes their spontaneity away. It takes their options away and it stresses them out. Yep. So I have a love hate relationship as well, because I'm right in the middle on the J and P and in different environments, I operate in different ways. Yep. But regardless of whether you're a J or a P on a Myers-Briggs, whether you're a judger or a perceiver as the Myers-Briggs nomenclature would have it, the fact is structure exists. Yeah. And it's how you embrace it and how you seize it and how you use it. And that's what we want to talk about in this episode. Right. You know, we were with some high school students just last night. That was such a trip for me. Yeah. Armin and I went to a STEM, science, technology, engineering, math fair at one of the local high schools here in Minneapolis. And they had hundreds of kids out. Yeah. 
Well, it just the fact that I was there was just funny to me because I'm the opposite of all four of those. Yeah. Science, technology. <laughs> I mean, well, except technology. I'm all about technology, but... Yeah, well, we were laughing because we were there to talk about entrepreneurialism, <laughs> so we were just changing the E in STEM to entrepreneur, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> uh, but we had quite a few kids that came up to our little table or booth, mm-hmm. whatever, and were asking us questions, and it was fun to engage with them. It was. And one of the things that was really clear was, in many ways, they don't have a clue what's facing them. <laughs> At all. Right? At all. Right. I, I loved it, though. Yeah, it, it's fun. Because they had their answers down. Yeah. You know, they knew exactly how they're going to answer your question. Right. And right. no clue what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> right. But, you know, one of the biggest transitions that occurs in life is where you move from the structure of being a student. Yeah. Where every year is just a little bit different from the year before. But mm-hmm. you basically have classes you go to. You have homework that you're given. You've got extracurricular activities. you got sports. you got mm-hmm. whatever. But you know the next grade is coming. Yep. And then you graduate. And either you go on to college, which is just a continuation of the same structure, albeit maybe in a different location. So some of it changes. Yeah. But generally speaking, what you're doing isn't all that different than the 12 years you had before of doing it. Well, except a lot of it is in your own hand now. Well, yeah, you got more freedoms. Yeah. You have a different environment. You have so there structure are some changes. Which structure makes a big difference? Oh, yeah. Well, there's one element of structure that really changes when you go off to college. If you go out of your home, home. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but generally speaking, until they get there, until you get to this mm-hmm. new structure, you don't realize that you had it. And that's what's so frightening for students that graduate from high school or college and go off into the work world because all of a sudden now their structure, the things that they relied upon, the systems and ways in which they did things, which was so unconscious to them beforehand, suddenly becomes, I don't know where to grab my toehold. I don't know how to do things. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember having a conversation with Ryan one time and he was asking me his opinion about my, Ryan's one of my sons, and he was asking my opinion about something that he ought to do. And well, he was 21. And so I discussed with him the pros and cons. We talked about it. I asked him questions and, mm-hmm. and he said, well, what do you think I should do, dad? And I said, well, I think you should you know, tell me what you're leaning toward and we can discuss the merits of it. He goes, no, I just want you to tell me what to do. And I said, you're an adult now, so you get to decide what you want to do. Yeah. You know, and he says, "Well, I don't want to be an adult. You know, I, I want somebody to tell me what to do." That's and that's amazing. an example of a structure shift and yeah. the angst that comes from saying, "Okay, I've got this now responsibility that I'm not sure how mm. to do," and I just want to go back to the safety of the structure that worked for me before. Mm. And we all have those, but the problem is we're not aware of it. Yeah. Right on. I mean, I know I'm not still to this day for a lot of aspects of my life. So trying to think back to when I was 21, man, that's just a joke to think about it. Well, you had a wholly different structure yeah. with the different stuff you were involved in. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I didn't even think about my life. I just thought about what I was doing every day. Mm-hmm. Right? Just creating a structure around protecting not just myself, but an organization of, well, criminals, but Yeah, and that's the whole premise of this show. If you're not aware of your structure, you won't know whether it's going to take you where you want to go. Yeah. Now, many of us are not quite sure yet where we want to go, Yeah. but we might have certain aspirations. We know certain things we'd have as a preferred future, Mm -hmm. but we don't stop and ask ourselves, is the structure that I'm living under right now going to get me to the preferred future that I have in mind for myself? Okay, I don't know why I'm throwing this in there, but the thing that I think would have been very helpful to me at that age is if I considered more of who I was becoming rather than where I was going. I think I was capable of building a lot of structures, especially in my organization, but it always took me somewhere I didn't want to go because it focused on what I was attaining 
right? Whether mm-hmm. it was power, status, money, whatever, but ever helped me be fulfilled or feel joy or feel peace because I never became the person I wanted. I just became the person that had those things that I thought would make me happy and they never did. Yeah, and that's the big shift that I think it, it takes for us to move into as an adult, to move between the shift of what do I want to have mm-hmm. versus what do I want to become? Yep. And that's a, that's a huge, huge shift. Yeah. And until we can answer the question, is the way that I'm going about doing what I'm doing going to get me to become the person that I want to become? Right on. We haven't really looked at structure. Right. And I love that. And that's, again, I wish that's a piece of advice I had when I was younger. Yeah, me too. You know? Absolutely. Because I, I just coming out of school, coming out of college, it's all about what you're going to do, what you're going to accomplish, what you're going to attain, what you're going to achieve. But it's never about the person that you are, the character that you have, the individual that you become, the type of father, the husband, the wife, the whatever, right? It's never about who you are. It's always about what, 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 what. Correct. Which means nothing to you when you get it. Yeah. And the options for doing what's are amazingly open. Right. But you will default to becoming a who if you Mm -hmm. don't answer that question. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So diving into this whole structure thing, what are the components that come into a structure? Yeah, so I think of structure as having three very simple components. The first is a routine. These are the habits that we form to do what we do. So it's the what. Then it's also the rhythm. And the rhythm is the pace and the times in which we do what we do. So it's kind of the how. Hmm. It's the way in which we go about doing what we do. And then relationships. And that's the who, really. It's the people that form our support system that help us achieve the how and what's. Mm -hmm. And I like to think about it a very simple metaphor, and that is the metaphor of dance. Anna and I go out and we do ballroom dancing. I know that's inconceivable. (laughs) It actually was. The first time I met you, you said you dance. It's like, no, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) You're not. I'm using that word in the proper sense now. It was. I think it is awesome to dance with Anna. That's not inconceivable. No, simply think about it this way. When you learn dance, you learn a routine. You learn Mm -hmm. how to do various steps. And pretty soon you put a few of those together and there's a choreographed routine. That's Mm -hmm. the sequence of things that you're doing. Right. And as you learn to do those things, it's hard at first, but as you have repetition, first step here, then step there, you know, the hardest part for me with learning to dance was to figure out that it's left foot, then right foot, <laughs> because I kept doing left, left, right, or right, right, left. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just that uh, i got two left feet. But when you start with a routine and you get it over time, mm. you get better. Mm. And that's routine. That's the habits that we're forming. Those are the things that cause us to do what we do mm-hmm. in an efficient way. But you also have rhythm. You have paces that are slow and paces that are quick, right? Yeah. And you want to be on time or it looks kind of funny, right? right. Yeah. And I've had plenty of those where they look pretty funny. Yeah. And you want to shift up rhythm. So rhythm is the way in which you go about doing what you do. It's the thing that needs variety or you know, or it's going to get boring pretty yeah. quick. The idea of of rhythm is you think about it in a dance routine, you relax the muscles and you stretch the muscles. So if you think about the rhythm of your life, it's the things that you do that give you the in and the out, the breathing. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's a relationship. Of course, in ballroom dance, you need two parties, the lead and the follow, the man and the woman who come together and they do this miraculous thing without stepping on each other's feet. Right. You know, and that is the support of the relationship. 
And in dance, there's often the opportunity for a lead follow that switches between the two partners. It's often not seen, hmm. but there are times when she leads and times when he leads. And you, it's not always the guy leading, it's often a shift. And so it represents this relationship where there's give and take, hmm. a lot like we've talked about in the networking episode, right. where there's reciprocity, right. even in a dance routine, there's reciprocity is what makes it work. And I think it's just a kind of a beautiful illustration of how structure works. But think about it from the kind of a personal example, right? Okay. Uh, very simple. You and Ashley, you probably have some routines in your marriage. Think about your date night as your routine, right? You, you have a fixed yeah. time. It's Friday night at 6 p.m., so that means it's date night, you know? And the standard thing about a routine is that there's a cue, and there's a thing that you do once the cue happens, and then there's a reward. So in a date night, right, the cue is it's Friday, it's 6 o'clock, ding, that means we go out on a date, right? right? Now... That's the routine. Now the rhythm is what do you do on the date? You know, so you know, when Anna and I were that having, you know, very regular date nights before kids, we would go out, you know, right. Friday, six o'clock, it's date. And we would do the old classic dinner in a movie. Okay. Right. No shame in that. No. Well, I, you know, I'm it never varied guy. though. It was dinner in a movie. All right. And I remember one time when Anna and I were talking about this, she says, you know, um, we never really get to do what I want to do. And I said, well, that's not true. I asked you which movie you wanted to go to and which, which restaurant you wanted to go to. She says, no, that's not what I'm saying. You know, she had a wholly different structure in mind. Right? Right, She's like, right. I think I have a whole different rhythm in mind. And I said, well, so what do you mean? What would you like to do? She says, well, I think it would be great to go to the opera or ballet or, you know, an orchestra or, or dance. You know, and at that time it was like, are you kidding me? You know? And I think my res- only response was, well, what restaurant would you like to eat? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like go back to my routine. Uh, pretty boring. But that's the idea of rhythm. Yeah. You know, so the routine, that's what kicks in Friday. Mm-hmm. And how you go about it and what you do, if you just do the same thing all the time, it gets really, really boring. And then, of course, the relationship aspect is pretty evident there in a date night. But that's an idea of how a structure works. So how does all that relate to strategic margin? It relates in this way, because if we're going to really gain that margin to think about our lives, we have to take an underlying look at our structure. We can change all of our activities, but unless we look at the underlying structure first, it's not going to make any difference. Robert Fritz, who I mentioned in last week's episode, who wrote a book called The Path of Least Resistance, said this, if you try to change your behavior without first changing the underlying structure causing that behavior, you will not succeed. This is because structure determines behavior, not the other way around. Hmm. And that's That's a really powerful concept. Yeah, A lot of the things that we do, we do because we have habitually relied upon our structure without really looking at it. So one of the questions I still have, how do I assess what my underlying structure is or what is my current structure right now? How do I figure that out? Well, you start, first of all, with understanding what you're trying to achieve, who you're trying to become. Those are both your personal and your professional aspirations, the things that you want to achieve inside of yourself, perhaps your career aspirations. Because you can't assess whether your structure is good for you until you know where it is that you're trying to go. Hmm. Because if you don't know where you're trying to go, as they say, any road will take you there. Hmm. Right. So the idea, first of all, is really to get that sense of, all right, these are the things that are important to me. When I think about my future self in three years, this is what I want to to look at. And since structure forms unconsciously, it can only be reconfigured consciously. We've got to seriously take a look at it. And the problem is that we're resistant to change. 
And so that means that anytime we look at something, we're going to want to defend the current structure we have because it takes risk to change structure. The thing that we're relying on, it takes a lot of risk to change. And so ego tends to keep us defending the current structure. But the goal in all this is to create alignment between what our aspirations are, what we want to see ourselves in three years, and the structure that will get us there. And when we critically look at our structure, we might find that those things are lacking. Hmm. So help me understand more in depthly about the formed habits that we create. Yeah. So if we're going to look at our structure, we start first of all with the habits because that's a routine, right? Yep. So look at the things that you have created in your life and you're going to ask yourself, you know, what are the things in my life that are the time wasters? Obviously, if you want to get to an aspiration for something that you don't presently have, it's going to require time to get there because you're going to need to invest that time in something, in a new behavior. And so you have to ask yourself, what are the ways in which I'm wasting time? And how do the habits that I have, how are they contributing to where I want to go? Hmm. So if you want to become a more patient person, for instance, right? What are the habits that you've been cultivating to practice patience? Hmm. What are the things that you are doing if you want to be in a new career? What are the things that you're doing to become educated about that new opportunity? Hmm. Or you want to start a business? How are you developing the skills or the network contacts or all the things that we've talked about all the time in these episodes? The investments that you need to make have to come from your margin because most of us are doing plenty right now. It's not like we sit around with a lot of margin. So we right. have to say, if we're going to create more margin for ourselves, we have to think about the way in which we can get that out of the habits that we have. Hmm. We talked about this one episode where I discovered one of the habits that I had was like a routine cue is at night at a certain time at night, when I get particularly tired, I'll switch on the television and then it becomes an hour or an hour and a half time sink for me. Hmm. And so is that a habit that's helpful to me? I go, well, no, there are other things that I can do that don't require a lot of energy because I'm energy depleted at that time that don't require a lot of energy, but it's more helpful for me. Even just to sit and listen to music hmm. is more helpful and refreshing to me hmm. than it would be to, to, to watch television, for instance. It's interesting because I always try to find a reason to justify watching TV, <laughs> but it never does add a ton of value to my life. But somehow I always find a way to justify it though, no matter what, you know, if I'm strained, if I'm drained, if I just want to shut off, I want to numb myself. It's, it's my go-to. Yeah. And I don't mean to make TV the bad guy here because it's so easy to pick on that. But when the average American spends, the average American spends six hours a day watching television, yeah. it's hard to fathom where they might be if those six hours were invested somewhere else. Oh. I don't watch nearly that amount of TV. I doubt that you do either. A moderate amount of that is innocuous. I mean, so it's not going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. But it is the question about can you replace the time that you're spending on something that even is neutral in value? Could yeah. you replace it with something that might be better in value? Hmm. And that's when you start really looking at your structural changes. Hmm. I'm contemplating, for example, starting a project that I didn't have on my work plan this year. If I do, it's going to require a huge amount of structural changes. And I know that one of the things I'm going to have to do is to say, where are the ways in which I'm spending my time and my routine so that I can find ways to get the margin that I need in order to do it? I don't think you have any room. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's it. There's some things, shifts and things that I probably would have to do to get there. Oh, that's fun. Good luck with that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what else? What else? Yeah, we so, gotta... so that would be what you do. You look at your routines, and then you start to look at your rhythm, right? And there's lots of things around rhythm that you can look at. Right. Because the tool of rhythm is your calendar. Okay. The calendar is the thing by which you can say, this is the times that I'm going to be doing certain things. So for instance, if you want to take on more, you can decide, I'm going to shift my sleep schedule. I'm going to go to bed an hour earlier, and I'm going to get up an hour earlier. Or maybe go to bed an hour earlier and get up an hour and a half earlier. Because by going to bed earlier, you might be able to get more efficient sleep. Getting up earlier, you might be able to get more done before you start getting interrupts into your day. Shifts like that can make a big difference. Looking at things not just on a daily basis, but also on a macro level basis so that you can say, going to look at how I schedule things once a month is going to be my one day that I go away and work on this particular project. Mm -hmm. And you carve it out in your calendar. What you put in your calendar in ink is really, really powerful. Bill Hybels did an excellent presentation a couple of years ago that he reprised again at his church, Willow Creek Church, and he gave this presentation where he really talked about the power of a calendar and putting the, basically, that's the old, put the big rocks in the jar first. When you mm. put it on ink and you say, I'm committed to doing these things, they're going to get blocked off on my calendar, it's a powerful transformation tool. But what he's really talking about there is the structure of rhythm. Hmm. Use the calendar to establish the non-negotiables in your life that you're going to make changes in. Hmm. And that is your rhythm. That's the thing when it's Tuesday and that's the time that you're going to be doing it, then that's what you're going to do. Now that establishes a routine as well. Right. It's a habit, but it is the energy by which you're putting something in. Very interesting. I love that. I mean, it's not something I'm good at. It's not something I think I spend a lot of time focusing on, but I mean, just listening to that, it's very apparent to me that it's something I need to do and I mean, I'm not spending a lot of time processing it, but just the thought of it. I know my wife has already mentioned things I would have to change, but I'm just not conscious of it enough. But, you know, just even giving these little tips to me is making me more aware. Yeah. So think about uh, for rhythm, think about how might you use your calendar in a way that creates non-negotiables for you yeah. that you're going to stick with yeah. and you're going to use. And for me, one of the big shifts that I did, I think we've talked about in a number of episodes, is that I shifted my appointments to the afternoon rather than right. taking them in the morning. Right. That's a structural shift of rhythm because it's using my energy in the morning for more productive pursuits than the afternoon would be mm -hmm. if I tried to do those same things. Mm -hmm. So those are the cycles that you want to look at in your life and try to find out based on where I'm at, how can I make those changes? And then, of course, there's eating and exercise and the way in which you maintain your health, right. those also affect your energy and the rhythm that you can put towards something. And then the third piece of that really to evaluate is the relationships, right? So you want to look at whether you're surrounding yourself with the kind of positive relationships that support the future that you're looking to create. All right. So what does it take to get through all that? Well, I think it all boils down to two commitments that we have to make. Okay, what are those? Well, one is that we have to be willing to intentionally experiment with the structure. And this is really difficult because it takes some risk. First of all, you got to be willing to change something that you've been relying upon mm -hmm. to see if the change is better. Yeah. And at the same time, it might not be better for a while. Okay. So it could actually feel like you're backing up. But you're looking at what you do and how you do it and with whom you rely upon it. So you're looking at those three things, right? What's my routine? What's my rhythm? What are my relationships? And how can I change that, optimize it? What are ways to do it? And it just takes reflection and a decision mm. that you're going to shift something. And I, my recommendation is that you don't shift everything, that you just make changes in piecemeal. So mm. 
You don't tear down the whole building and start from scratch, but you say, all right, what are some of the shifts that I can make? So for instance, I found that I wanted to get more done in the morning. I needed to move my reading time to the evening. Hmm. I'd already established a pretty regular pattern of reading in the morning. So I felt like if I could link that habit to a reliable habit in the evening, that I'd be more likely to move that and reclaim about a half an hour or so of my time in the morning that I could spend other things. So making those kinds of shifts requires you to decide, okay, I'm going to change that. I'm going to experiment with it. I'm going to see how it goes. I'm going to evaluate it. And I'm going to come back and rework it until I can get it right. Hmm. The second commitment that you have to have is to identify the tensions that exist. And there are always tensions in structure, just like a building has tension that keeps it together. And when the wind blows, it pulls back and it might sway a little bit. It has structural tension that goes on. And those tensions exist within each of us when we confront our work. And in my Dream Intensive workshop, I talk about three. There's this tension of process, which we really talked about in the last episode. That's the difference between creative and reactive. You know, are we going to look at something from a creative paradigm and that we're trying to create from it or how we just respond to circumstances, right? Then there's a tension of control. And this is the question of, do I have freedom in which I can exercise and do whatever I need to here? Or do I have to submit to something because it's outside of my ability to control it? It's that whole idea that you can't control all the things that might happen, but what areas do you have that you do have freedom and control in? Mm. And then the third tension that we need to understand is the tension of motivation, right? So it's the idea of why am I doing this? Is this for me? Or is it to satisfy what somebody else wants Mm -hmm. me to do? All those things play together when you're looking at your structure because you made commitments to things. They may or may not be the things that are best supporting you in terms of your personal aspirations. Hmm. That's so much. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And I admit that a lot of this is daunting and it might be overwhelming. And as a listener, you might be sitting there going, huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What do I do with all this? Yeah. You know, and that's why this is such a difficult part to create for strategic margin. I would just say simply this. So look at the one thing, either in your routine or your rhythm or your relationships, that if you change it would make it more likely for you to achieve the aspirations that you have for your life. It's a difficult thing to do, but it's very promising to do that. And and I would uh, invite our listeners to jump onto our show notes at reinventure.me slash 55 and leave us questions or some observations that they might have had, some trial and error in this area. This would be fun to have some dialogue around, and we could do that on the website or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash reinventureme. Don't leave us a comment there. Armin, I'll end this show just saying, I think you're breathtaking. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. it (laughs) And that is all the time that we have. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Reinventure Me. If you found our show breathtaking, (laughs) it's like we're going to take your whole breath away. (laughs) Would you leave us a a comment on our show notes at reinventure.me slash five five? That'll get you straight to this episode show notes. And if you haven't done so, thanks to our many friends that have. But if you haven't done so, go to reinventure.me slash iTunes. Mm -hmm. There's two things on there. There's ratings and there's reviews. Be sure you click both. Rate us wherever you think we should be. I'm okay with whatever rating you give us. And then uh, and then write us a review. We'd love to have that. And then on reinventure.me slash Stitcher. Of course, like our callers that called in today, <laughs> we love to get our calls on our show line, 612-314-5447. And as we said, join us on Facebook, Armin Asadi 
That's or right. Armin Acidai no, no, at uh, Twitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> and on behalf of Armin and Larry, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Not Larry. Not Leary. <laughs> Not Leary. <laughs> we, uh, we bid you adieu. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. <laughs>